thing, you know, we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and, um, you know, they, they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that, that's what happens. And the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the, into the family as if he'd been there all along. I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania. Dumb shit like that, that just isn't acceptable. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Well, welcome to Inside Supercars with Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock and a big week heading up to Hidden Valley. In fact, uh, Tony, 20th time Supercars have gone to Hidden Valley. I can remember that very first time. My gosh, it doesn't seem like yesterday, but uh, it does seem like 20 years ago. Um, It's going to be a big one. Um, I think uh, Garth Tander is the only competitor who's done every race. Craig Lowndes nearly, but I think he missed one start for a crash damage or something like that. But it's certainly going to be a big weekend. Um, I know all the uh, southern teams, of which uh, two-thirds of the paddock are from the south. They'll be enjoying the heat. For sure. And uh, over the last week or so, getting out of the rain. Yes, indeed. The uh, test, uh, t- tests happened for most of the teams at uh, both uh, Queensland Raceway last Monday and then last Tuesday it was the turn of the Victorian teams to head out to Winton to return to the... Uh, uh, I think the only team that didn't go, actually, was um, Kelly Racing, didn't they? They held their test over to before Sandown. Oh, I thought they did test. So uh, I'll need to check. My data. Oh, no, you're right. They, they did test. I thought they yes. test earlier. No, they... you're right. They No, they did test that, that last week. Um, and, in fact, I think across the four cars, they knocked up close to 1,000 kilometres. So, yes, they did. I was uh, incorrect in uh, making that uh, summation. Which uh, testing, of course, uh, brings up an interesting subject. Well, we'll talk more about it later, but it's obviously very topical because they only get two days a year nowadays. If you uh, haven't got a rookie or you're not... Uh, trying to blood some young driver, then you only get two days a year. And that's not a lot when you're running new cars and new tyres. Yeah, Garth certainly put it on the agenda when you spoke to him at Phillip Island. So no reason why we can't talk about it now. It does seem ludicrous that uh, we went from that amazing period where I think Scaife was on the track something like 150 to 200 days a year to now only having uh, 58 days a year. And there was that amazing time when uh, Gibson Motorsport were winding down after the end of cigarette sponsorship, where they actually tested but didn't race at one point. They went and tested at Phillip Island but didn't race the uh, the weekend prior. So, yeah, interesting times have uh, certainly gone through many, many twists and folds. Anyway, we're getting ready. The news has come out about Sydney Motorsport Park. The good news about that is they've had another test. James Courtney running around in a road-going uh, ZB. And uh, they've uh, decided they're going to dig, dig a bit deeper for more lights. So they're going to be running the 300-kilometre race on the full three... or not. It's not the largest of the tracks, but it's a 3.93-kilometre track compared to the 2.8 they were going to be on. So it's a less number of laps, um, but it's the same 300Ks and, coincidentally, of course, running for 300 points. So A point a uh, lap. If you don't... Uh, yeah, if you don't finish there, you're going to be uh, very uh, angry because uh, it's uh, quite a, quite a situation where just one race won 300 points. But anyway, so be it. Um, 
The other news that broke uh, just a couple of days ago was about um, another racetrack breaking cover. Now, this is a proposal uh, uh, to uh, build a track down Pakenham Way. I don't know many details about it, but they're looking for the whole uh, the enchiladas in terms of making a track that will be there for uh, uh, running uh, test days and car launch days and the whole gamut of things, as well as a, a hotel on site. So that's interesting. And but, um, it's interesting, too, that uh, Eugenia Rocker from CAMS has been on a, a big push about motorsport facilities. And, uh, you know, he has Bendigo and uh, there's Mildura that are also keen to have a track. This Pakenham one's come out. You've got tracks in uh, another track in Perth that's been talked about and also one up at Newcastle uh, along with what I think Rock, the Rockhampton track will be a permanent circuit as well. So it's not that we don't need these facilities. It's just interesting that 20 years on since uh, since Hidden Valley, we're now seeing some interest in building some, and not just government interest, but also some private consortium interest. Maroolan, um, I guess, has had some major, major work done to it, and it's holding rally crosses it did on the weekend or the weekend before last. So... Um, People have found out there's money to be made in driver training and and those sort of activities, which are actually what racetracks make their profit from. It's not from having the supercars there once a year. That, that's right. And, uh, yes, I, I can remember John Tetley quite being emphatic that he didn't need supercars at his track. It just messed up his schedules in terms of getting people on the track. And, of course, he's instigated lots of local events um, with uh, Mazda Series, MX-5 Series, um, Hyundai series running there, both Queensland and New South Wales. So there's certainly been a lot of action happening in recent times for getting more people on track. And certainly CAMS with their program, with uh, getting more women involved in motorsport as well, which is all fantastic stuff. But it um, it all bodes well for uh, motorsport continuing not only to thrive, but actually grow in Australia, because that's one of the things that the more people will have access to a track, the more chance that people will have to make a career. And, of course, we've seen in recent times where uh, young men have gone from Australia and made very worthwhile careers, uh, Daniel Ricciardo and Will Power, uh, respectively, in the UK and, and uh, Europe and uh, Will in the US. And it's a fantastic thing to, to see that happen. But anyway, we've uh, got uh, this week to listen to the second part of the Chris Murden interview. Chris Murden and John Pengilly talking to Craig and myself at Winton about their time in motorsport, where they came from running in the main game to now where they run in the Kumo Series. So after break, we'll have Chris Murden and John Pengilly. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. As mentioned before, the break that we're going to play the interview that Craig and I had with 
Chris Merton and John Pengilly at Winton. They've been competing collaboratively for over 20 years, first of all in the main game and then um, in the Kumo series, which Chris won a number of years ago and he's been competing still. Nowadays, of course, he has uh, competitors who are close enough to his, maybe not grandchildren, but certainly his children's age. Chris uh, and John have both had a very heavy involvement in Adelaide Motorsport, both involved Chris on the board and in recent times John working for the organisation that runs the Adelaide and prior to the Clipsville 500. So, What happens to John Pingelli's racing career when his sponsor pulls out, or well, when his uh, sponsor becomes a racer? Uh, um, no, well, I continued along from 89 to 2000, and it was actually my wife that... Um, sort of curtailed the racing she thought that um well should we go buy a house or keep racing so um i lost yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's but but this is one way i can keep my hand in racing is helping chris i'm still involved in the top end and i can still um get more thrills doing this what was the south australian motor racing scene like when you go through that grand prix phase pre-clipsal Gee, there wasn't a huge period of time there. But, there, uh, there were an awful yeah. lot of HQs running. Yeah, I can see yeah. there were HQs, 40 field, yeah, 40 cars in a field, and yeah. they, they were the days. It, sorry, I'm interrupting oh, you, Oh, no, John, you're but, right. You know, yeah, I was a yeah. spectator watching John because I was a sponsor, but uh, it was, look, it, it was grassroots motorsport, and we were all out having fun. In fact, the Malala Hotel, Tony, do you remember yeah, visiting that occasionally yeah. on the way back from there? Yeah. So. That was almost the highlight of the weekend, Sunday night at the Malala yeah. Hotel. I can't remember the guys who were motor lab. Do you, Doug? Yeah, I remember. Jim Doig. Jim, Jim Doig, yeah. yeah. In the little motor lab ass. Yeah. ass. yeah. Fantastic driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, look, the main difference is, yeah, the fields were so large back then. And to the point, HQ racing, you, you had to have a, an A and a B. So you'd have 40-plus cars at um, uh, at the Grand Prix. Um in Adelaide, where we de- actually did get to race, uh, there, there were huge fields. Like we had the you know big, big grid numbers, like way in excess of what they are now. Like we'd have forty plus cars. And South Australia has, for a long, long time, batted well above its size in, in population, with both Elfin and Barana mm. as two of the major car racing car manufacturers in this country. And you know, it's quite extraordinary that so many racing cars came out of that state. Well, it is. Um, uh, you know. Elfin is just a worldwide name. There's Elfins all over the world now, yeah. and they're quite a collectible car. Same with um, Barana, which morphed into eventually uh, Team Dynamic. Yeah. Um, you've got um, BRM, for example, that have been heroes in Formula 3 and now Formula 4. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and I guess to the point, you've also got uh, Ian Richards, because yes. yeah. everyone Formula loves three. Ian. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like, for Formula 3. Uh, and they've been consistent championship winners yeah. for for many, many, many years. So South Australia's done very well. And yeah. continues to, really. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, just I think there was a long history of motorsport in the state, though, if you went yeah. back 100 years oh. ago. You know, yeah, I mean, and, and just followed the emergence of motorsport. And I think, you know, South Australia was a wealthy state, as you remember, and there were people who could spend a bit of money, you know, on cars and developing cars, and engineering businesses grew out of that. And uh, you had Grand Prix down there back in the Victor Harbour Grand Prix. Yeah. You're right, Lobethal, Port yeah. Wakefield, as you said. So uh, yeah, there's a, a long history of, of motorsport. And as a kid, I'd go down to Rolly Park, and you, know, you had uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the family who were behind Rolly Park. Um, 
Benitez. Yes. Benitez, yeah, Kim. Kim, Kim's family, and yeah, he was a great supporter of motorsport at the time, and so, anyway, long heritage. So what does it mean now having a track like Taylor Bend in your backyard? Oh, mate, that, that's something else. Um, Tony and I were there recently for the first round um, together and just looking at it, and it was it's pretty darn amazing, isn't it, Tony? It's, uh, the size is just uh, mind-blowing. Yeah, there's a lot of people have become sort of slightly miss missed the point. Is they say, oh, it's an amazing facility, you know, a hundred bed hotel. It's not about a hotel; it's about a racetrack. Yeah. In the, what the Shahins have done is build what will be, you know, a, a major track in Australia, because it'll be that way for a long time to come. I mean, okay, there's a hotel there that none of us are ever going to stay in at seven hundred dollars a night. Well, I don't think so. But, um, <laughs> but the important part is that it's a track that uh, has enormous capabilities mm, mm. and will no doubt play a part in some world motorsport. Mm. Yeah. Oh, look, for sure. Look, the Shahins won't stop. You know, like, yeah. They won't stop, I'm sure, until it's absolutely perfect. Um, and, and you've seen, by the way, they've started. Like, you, know, you walk into the foyer, you have a look at pit lane and you have a look at the track and uh, everything they've done is just absolute mm. first class. They're, they're passionate about their motorsport, which is fantastic. And I think... Um, they're an international family, international connections, and I'm sure, as you said, Tony, they'll be able to bring people, events, in you know, from overseas. So I'm looking forward to uh, the development of the, the, the uh, track stage, over the next you, you might actually stand back and watch somebody else racing. You know, yeah, well, there you go. Yourself. Well, I'm looking forward to having a run up there myself. Yeah, so uh, sure you yeah, will. August, I think, <laughs> yes, where we're uh, up yeah. there and with the... the, the um, Kumo series will be there, Yep, yeah. which will be fantastic. Mm. What's life like after the motorsport board? The motorsport board, as I said earlier, it was a fantastic group of people who were just so passionate about that event and about you know, funding that event properly, making it a success um, and really doing something for South Australia. It, look, tourism had taken over and to their credit, they've done an incredible job. They really have. And you, know, you, you saw recently the, the last event, they had record numbers again and look, they had also had a fantastic concert. But they know what's required to keep that event going. I think, just from a, you know, a personal perspective, you know, I, I miss it because it was a wonderful connection with motorsport. But, look, I think they've done well and uh, we'll keep pushing on. Does that link to government, though, that the board obviously had for so many years? Does that potentially affect how motorsport is going to be received by government going forward? Look, I don't think so. Uh, tourism are very supportive of motorsport. They're very supportive of the Shaheen family. You, you can see the Victoria Park Festival of Speed event. They're, the tourism are very supportive of that. And, and look, any initiative that's going to bring people into South Australia from uh, nationally, internationally, you know, they'll have a good hard look at if it stacks up. So uh, they're fully behind motorsport events. So, I, you know, I think uh, just watch this space with them. They're still there. Yeah, oh, look, I agree. Um, and working on both sides, um, from when we worked at the Motorsport Board for where I'm working now, there's not a huge amount of difference except uh, probably got a little bit more um, uh, freedom to do more things, introduce more things. Um, and I hope that'll show in coming events. It, it certainly won't detract from the event at all. It'll probably do the reverse. It'll, it should lift it up. On uh, the Sunday, the last event, we had to shut the doors. Um, thanks to a certain singer, but, <laughs> but I tend to think it was probably motorsport. But yeah, yeah, they all came to watch the race. <laughs> yeah, all came to watch the race. But no, look, it's um, the 2019 event. You know, that's already really jacking up. It looked fantastic. So, um, full were, steam ahead. Were you guys involved in the race of a thousand years as well? 
I you was, were, Chris? No, I was there, um, parting on. Because yeah. uh, I, I missed it, it was, but it was, everyone told me yeah. how fantastic it was. It was then the politics stepped in, I guess, Chris. Oh, look, I I was on the board at the time, and gee, that was a long time ago. I'm getting old, 18 years ago. Um, look, to to your point, yeah, it was a great event it was well supported by the crowds but the problem was there's only so much of a corporate spend in South Australia and to go out and try and you know fund an event through corporate hospitality and and you know the, the broader corporate community it was difficult to have too and so you didn't want to kill off the Clipsal 500 uh, by trying to extract too many corporate dollars you know, out of local South Australian and Australian businesses for those two events there so look I just think uh, yeah, there were some sporting politics involved, but I think it was more of a commercial decision in the long run that it didn't go ahead again. Yeah, and Taylor Bend, what's that going to mean for Malala? What's that mean for grassroots racing? Look, I don't know. I, I, I think that everyone that races a Malala would love to have a race or you know like a few races at Taylor Bend. Um, I think it's probably up to some of the main people of the sporting car club. Um, they'll be sharing the love, no doubt. Um, and I suppose everyone will get a, a drive at Tail and Ben as they will a Malala. And that's the important part is the Shaheens now own Malala. Correct. So that, you know, there will be state series that go across Correct. both right. venues. Mm. But having yeah. both venues means that it's more valuable to have a car because now you can have yep. that difference and that yep. variety that isn't afforded when it's a one-track state. Well, yeah, and for many years we had um, Adelaide International Raceway and we had Malala. I was lucky I raced at both short time at uh, AIR but that was a great track and I know Tony would remember that you yeah. know, from back in the 5000 days where you had people lined up and Johnny Walker and XU1 beating Mal Rand <laughs> 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 um, so yeah and when that shut of course we only had Mullala unless you were going to travel into state and I think that uh, racing did sort of um, it picked up for a while but I think every, you slowly get sick of the same track if you don't have the funds to go into state now that we've got both tracks, I reckon it should kick um, yeah. sport up in, in oh. motorsport up in this state. It I, should give another leg I up. totally agree with John. I think uh, the Shaheen, it's not only the Shaheen, the Sporting Car Club using those facilities, you know, should be working hard to get some more categories up. And, and I know personally, as I'm getting older, you know, it gets you know, a bit more painful travelling, a little bit of travelling's okay. But, um, you know, you want to be able to go to a circuit and... Uh, if there's two tracks there, you can have these stage series and, and two tracks, four or five events a year. would just be fantastic. So I think uh, there's some real upside there. Variation's good. Yeah. Thanks very much to Chris Murden and John Pangilly for talking to us at Winton. It's been wonderful to reopen those pages of back of the history of early days of touring cars for you. I look forward to watching as you come, and we'll certainly be there in August at Taylor Bend to see you enjoying the uh, laps of that mighty track. So thanks again, John and Chris. Thank, Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to our interview with Chris Smurden and John Pengilly. After the break, we'll be listening to both Craig Lowndes talking about his time at Hidden Valley. He's coming up to uh, set a record as the winner of the inaugural Hidden Valley back in 1998. He's going up to try and knock off the record that Mark Scaife currently holds 
of the most wins there. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian title since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome back. V8 Supercars are heading to uh, Eden Valley this weekend, the Northern Territory, and Craig Lowndes will have set his sights on another record, one of uh, a good number he's got in his career. No, look, it's, it's fantastic. I think that uh, it wasn't a number that I was actually really um, aware of, but uh, of course I've been in the sport long enough now, and uh, you know we're, we're sort of cracking milestones everywhere. But it's it's nice to know that we've had a longevity in the sport, and we've now been able to get uh, you know the 650. It wasn't the best uh, starting position, but uh, you know really for us, it's uh, you know it's it's the name of the game at the moment. The competition is really tight, and uh, you know it's a tough uh, category. You know from when I remember when I first started to what it is now category that the category has completely changed you know the drivers the teams the cars everything has been much more uh, refined than what it was when I first started yeah I am look Darwin's one of the uh, the tracks that's got one of the longest straights besides Bathurst so you know you need obviously a very good straight line handling car you know slippery through the air good passing opportunities you obviously got good slip streaming um, and it's also very hot so the cars get extremely hot um, but once you get through turn one, you've got a series of corners left right. You go up into that amphitheatre area. You need a good front there to get uh, you know, the car hooked around. Then, of course, you, you, again, you wind back to the last corner. So it is a very uh, technical little track to get right uh, because you've got low aero because you want straight line speed, but you need, obviously, the downforce and the braking areas for everywhere else. So um, we've had good results there in the past. It's a track that I really do enjoy. Uh, so really, for me, I'm looking forward to getting up there and, uh, and seeing what we can do. And, you know, we won our 100th there, so it does have and holds special memories for me. He'll be looking to add to his uh, wins in prior years, starting with the inaugural one in 98, and looking to possibly uh, not only match, because he has seven wins, Mark's gave eight, but possibly take a pair of wins, maybe even take the triple, which no one has ever done, the triple crown in Darwin. It's an interesting uh, scenario, isn't it? They've had for years now of just having two races, but it's a triple crown. Yes, we don't need to uh, elaborate on the complexities of supercars naming yeah. conventions other than to say... But Craig likes the track. It's a very high-speed track with a one-kilometre front straight. Oh, look, there's certain tracks that suit certain drivers, and Darwin's one of those circuits for me. Um, I love it like a Barber Gallo and other circuits, but, uh, you know, it'd be nice to equal Skate's record there. I think he holds a few more records around the traps, but um, Darwin was obviously very special for him. Uh, it'd be nice to have a victory up there and equal it. If we can get two, um, that'll be even better, and if we get a couple of pole positions, we might get that, uh, that triple crown that uh, no one's uh, what's eluded everyone at the moment. So uh, we'll go up there and see what we can do, but it'd be nice to, to equal, if not, if we can better uh, Skate's record up there this year. Craig Lowndes stable mate, or not his stable mate necessarily, but his garage mate this year is Jack LeBrock in the techno car. And of course, that uh, while they run uh, the same machinery and share a pit crew, they are run by two different organisations. And they live in different worlds because Craig, of course, is getting ready for his 650th race 
whereas Jack is making his second appearance at Hidden Valley. Yeah, really looking forward to going back to Darwin. It was uh, our first wildcard event, first main game solo event last year. So, uh, yeah, it's great. I've got that uh, little bit of experience under my belt there and understand how the soft tyre works around that circuit. So, uh, yeah, it's a really cool place. Out in the sea, it's unreal most of the time. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting up there and having some sun. So, uh, yeah, it always provides some really good racing and, uh, yeah, hopefully we can have a good run. This weekend at Winton was, uh, was a bit of a rough one for us. We, uh, we, had, we had quite good speed at times, but uh, struggled to turn the, the green tyre on early in the weekend. We had a really good um, race pace on, on the Saturday. Unfortunately, we got turned around or caught up some carnage at the start of the race, which put us back, but uh, it was really positive with the race pace that we had. So, um, unfortunately, it didn't translate into Sunday's race. We, we tried a few things and went a little bit too aggressive. So, uh, yeah, learning from all that. But, uh, yeah, a lot of experience learned this weekend, so I uh, look forward to chipping on for the rest of the year. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're joined for the second time in 2018 by Chris O'Toole, now in his role as team manager at uh, Tickford Racing. Chris O'Toole, welcome back to the world of supercars. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, now Chris uh, had an unfortunate accident uh, with his Harley Davidson very early this year. In fact, I think it was on my birthday, March 29th, from memory. Yeah, just the uh, day before Easter. So. Yes, yeah, so and you're now taking up the, the role that Matt Roberts has been filling in for you since uh, that time? Correct, yep, yep, Matt's done a great job. And I, I think you'd be very glad that, uh, to be heading up to, to Darwin. You live out Hurstbridge way, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I live actually in Diamond Creek. So. Diamond Creek, well, yeah. yeah, yeah uh, like where I live, these are not sort of sunny resorts, are they, at this time of year? <laughs> no, no, they're quite cold, actually. The, uh, um, the other day I went out and it like the fog was quite heavy and then I sort of drove out of the valley where I was and the, the sun was shining and then when I got back, the fog was still there where I was. So, so. yeah. Yeah. Now, I imagine that you've, uh, from afar, I mean, I know you've been back for a couple of weeks at uh, having your feet under the desk. Um, you'll uh, have been watching from afar and seeing the results not quite coming in the manner that, it, that A, you would have hoped and B, you would have planned on happening. Now, there's obviously been some testing going on and, and some of the things you need to put in place. Yeah, um, we, we, we have a struggle for performance and um uh, and reliability as well, so we can't um, show away from that. The reliability hasn't been anywhere near what we uh, what we expect of ourselves. You had that that shocking uh, one for uh, young uh, Stanaway, uh, of course. Um, uh, oh no, no, sorry, it was um, Cam Waters who had a couple of axles. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yep, that, that's right. Two axle failures. Was that a supply problem or? Um, it, it, it is an externally purchased part. Um, it's, a, it's a controlled design part as well, so it is a, a supercar's uh, design component um, and supplied outside, yeah, correct. And anyway, all the guys, Nathaniel, as head of engineering, they'll have all been working and sharpening their pencils. Uh, is there a lot of confidence heading up to Hidden Valley, a place where you, the team has had success? Oh, yeah, there certainly is. Um, we know um, we've had success there before and we've also known that uh, it, it's a tough track that um, that really knocks us around from time to time. Um, we are confident we've solved some of our issues um, from from previous, and we think we've found some pace. But really, you know, you go testing, you can go testing at Winton and find all this speed, and you think you're uh, on top of the world, and then it doesn't always translate. So there is still the um, the element of doubt that um, some of the speed is always there. We're really not going to know until come qualifying. Um, it, it's been pointed out that uh, you know the the new tyre are going back to what was a tyre sort of very similar to the 2016 tyre has been at the the root of the problems that uh, the team's been 
able to isolate and get on top of? Oh, look, I don't know if we've completely isolated that, but that's the, that's the problem. But I'm not a hundred percent convinced that it is the same tyre. I don't have, I can't, I don't have the, the scientific um, uh, evidence to say to, to prove that. But um, I, I do believe the tyre is different. Is that all of our problems? Like I said, we had some uh, reliability issues that have affected our performance as well and, um, and our on-track incidents that have also affected our performance. So on paper, um, we've got a, lot, a, a number of issues we've got to solve. You've been with Tickford Racing since 2003. What mm-hmm. was it like literally having your foot up and having to watch the racing? Oh, it's about the most painful thing I've ever done in my life. Um, not, not been able to be involved and, and, and have some sort of influence on, on anything and seeing things un, unravel um, is, is very difficult. It's not my cup of tea. I, don't, I did not enjoy that one little bit. Of course, in Formula One, the, uh, the teams back at the workshop, there's another 30 or 40 people all trying to sift through the data. You were no doubt looking at timing screens and other bits and pieces. Uh, it's not a model for supercars? I think it is, but in Formula One, the people back at the workshop that are monitoring data and all that sort of thing have a direct line of communication into the teams and, um, you know, are very much heavily involved in, in what's going on at track. It's it's something that can be done. I mean, technologies, uh, the technology exists. It's something that certainly can be done. Um, but we don't do it at the moment. I think it's, um, it's going to happen in some level if it's not happening already. But, um, but um, you know, in Formula One, they are directly result. And I've been told a couple, a number of times that um, a number of these teams haven't made a strategy call on pit wall um, in ten years because the strategies um, the calls are being made back at the workshop. So um, there is a there is a model that makes it work, and they are involved. But sitting on the couch with um, uh, not even be able to get up and uh, get your own glass of water is, uh, is a different kettle of fish. And looking at the timing screen is, is pretty uh, soul-destroying, soul to be honest with you. There's a bit of yelling at the TV. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Chris, for joining us on Inside Supercars and look forward to uh, hearing and watching those results coming from Tickford Racing and all the others competing at Hidden Valley this coming weekend. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, looking forward to it. And thanks to Chris O'Toole for his comments on uh, his pre-Hidden Valley. And after the break, we'll be back with our final thoughts for this week's Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Another big week in uh, the land of V8 supercars. Unfortunately, at the moment, it looks like being just V8s for a short time at least, but we'll wait and see on that. Craig, this whole testing issue uh, is certainly a final thought for the week because it, it's there's a lot involved in it. There's obviously some very mixed uh, emotions about it. Cost has been one of the things been driving it, as we all know that uh, people like Craig Lowndes got their fast start because they had almost unlimited testing in the day, and gradually it's been cut back and cut back and cut back. And now... There's a few people like Garth Tanner, amongst others, who are saying, not enough, we need more. 
Mm. Your thoughts? I Look, it's a double-edged sword because there's no point testing on old rubber. You've got to test on um, a tyre that is in decent nick. And so, what is it, $1,000 a set for tyres um, yep. these days? So if you go for a day's testing, you need to be prepared to burn $2,000 in tyres to be serious about it. Mm-hmm. Then you've got, you know, the costs of transportation, any damage you might do on the track, uh, obviously engine components, wear and tear, it all goes into your build cost. But what does that mean to the racing on the track on race day as compared to turning your Friday and then potentially your Saturday race into a into test session because you're getting ready for Bathurst, which will, you know, pretty much pay for your season if you can win it. And I don't mean that through prize money. I mean that through the, you know, advertising return from winning Bathurst over winning any other race of the year. It would seem that uh, the question of how much testing is going to go on the agenda at maybe the commission and the board. Um, it'll be obviously the commission that uh, really puts forward its ideas to the board on, on what should be done. But probably more than in recent times, it's certainly a hot topic at the moment. And we'll wait and see what develops, but uh, it could be that for 2019 there may be that change coming. But, Tony, what do you think more testing's going to provide? Because at the end of the day, it's the package on the television... For the most part, the package on the television is a a fantastic package. And so what do you gain from having more testing? We don't have a lot of mechanical failures. We don't have a lot of finger issues with uh, cars falling out because the mechanics, you know, forget to put a oil cap on or, or tighten up an oil line. We don't have those problems. Generally, the reason a car stops is because the driver's hit a wall. One of the reasons this season is an interesting one is because that while uh, Scotty McLaughlin is certainly leading the, the points and uh, Fabian's won a race as well, there have been plenty of different winners. Rick Kelly and uh, Dave Reynolds, um, Van Gisbergen, um, even Craig Lowndes, you know, all putting their hands up and taking a win. And that's one of the things, the result of it being very close, but I think it needs it needs as much development as can be sustained without spending too much. Now, you know, it, it would appear that they're going to maintain it where you're not going to be going to different tracks, but it would seem that possibly additional days may have value to enable teams that, that you know, like GRM, for instance, are one of them, and, and Garth mentioning it, but there are others as well, Preston Hire, um, the Schwerkolt team, maybe in Will Davis, these smaller teams that would benefit, I think, enormously from that opportunity to, to get more laps. And certainly, you know, it's a set of tyres so they can go and check on what they're doing. It'll be interesting to see if there are developments on this and we'll keep an eye on it in, in the near future. A cruel person would say that it'll change quickly when the major teams don't have well-established drivers who have already done all their testing at other teams. The the big difference is that a young person coming in has got no hope of competing with the front teams where they sit in uh, 
supercars at the moment. And you see Simona coming in cold from overseas. It's very, very rare you get a, a, a you know, Simonson and Lyons type combination or a um, Ericsson uh, who can just come in and be quick. You you look at all the time as Alain Manu came over and, and took him, you know, almost a whole Sandown 500 before he was on the pace for Bathurst. It's, it is one of those questions to ask about are we trying to develop drivers? Where would Nissan be now if they had a, a larger testing regime? Where would the Ultimas be? Would they have been up to speed quicker? If I'm a new manufacturer, we saw Volvo was able to get a quick car on the uh, allowance that they had, but could anyone else put that together? We saw the Polestar package being very heavily part of what Gary Rogers was able to achieve uh, success-wise. I, I think there's so many questions up in the air. If you're going to develop a new engine, obviously the way 888 went about it was get the ZB, do all the suspension, do all that part of the package, the aero package first, before you even worry about a new engine. But if you're a new manufacturer, do you have to have the engine and pa- you have to have the engine and, and car at the same time? It's there is there's so many more avenue, uh, so many more things than just how many days and how much it costs. It might cost more if you uh, free up the testing, but it might mean that the uh, the Kia is up to speed in the first year, which then gives them the impetus to keep putting money in. Yes, it certainly is. And one of the questions that we we don't know the answer to and we may never know is that why was the twin-turbo V6 uh, parked uh, by Holden? Could it be that they just didn't want to spend the money anymore on the development when they could see possibly that uh, it wasn't going to get the uh, result? Or just didn't want to spend the money full stop? Well, if they were going for the Camaro, then there was no point. If they're going for the Camaro, which is no. what all intent and purpose looks like it's going to happen, then why would you want it? You want a Camaro with a V8 in it. That's what you're going to, that's what you're going yeah. to sell. That's what you're going to market. So if supercars are moving towards muscle cars, which makes perfect sense in my mind, you know, then how do we yeah. get more muscle cars involved? What do we class as a muscle car? Obviously... You'd need the. You'd like to see a, a Dodge product or a Chrysler product here in on the market, getting in on the act. Um, that's not realistic because they only sell about twenty of them a year. Might be understating that, but you know what I mean. Uh, this is the this is the balance. Uh, it, it's it's more than just is this for the drivers? Is this for the teams? Who? What are we doing the testing for? Because the race package yeah. right now is bloody good. Well, let's sit back and uh, watch this weekend because Hidden Valley's coming up. And on Inside Supercars, that'll be all from this week. So thank you for listening in, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you from me. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.